Hey everybody, welcome to Engage on UMFM 101.5. This week, we are back with James and Rebecca from Winnipeg Police Cause Harm. Winnipeg Police Cause Harm is a local Winnipeg group that's focused on advocating against police violence, police corruption, and ultimately looking to reallocate the police budget into some more sustainable and better routes to help our community. So we're really excited to have a conversation with them. Uh, So I guess you guys can go ahead and introduce yourselves and a little bit about your roles. Sure, I'm I'm James. I use he him pronouns. I'm a member of Winnipeg Police Cause Harm. I'm also a student at the University of Manitoba, so it's uh, great to be able to to do this. I've been organizing with the group since around late 2019. Hey, uh, my name is Rebecca. I use she they pronouns. I'm a white cis settler and yeah, organizer with WPCH. I have since about the middle of the last summer, so summer 2020. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming today. We're excited to have this conversation. I guess first off, we can start with what is Winnipeg Police Cause Harm? What do you guys do in the community? Yeah, so kind of just, I guess, uh, being more specific to the intro that you provided, um, Winnipeg Police Cause Harm is a community-centered police abolitionist group committed to defunding the Winnipeg Police Service and reallocating resources to life-sustaining services. In terms of what we do, we do a pretty wide range of activities and organizing, and so this includes, but certainly is not limited to, providing commentary and analysis of mainly like Winnipeg-centered happenings on social media. We frequently send delegations to City Hall and to police board meetings. This kind of organizing has successfully halted a proposal for body-worn cameras earlier this year. We run fundraisers and mutual aid initiatives with families affected by police violence. We respond to media requests, and uh, we actually run our own blog on our website, winnipegpolicecauseharm.org. We frequently do postering and awareness raising education campaigns around specific issues like the police helicopter, and we occasionally run workshops like one we did with Anishinaabe lawyer Danielle Morrison. Um, from that workshop, we actually developed Know Your Rights cards, which we also distribute at different outreach events we attend. James, if there's anything I missed, feel free to, to jump in. No, I mean, I I think that was a really good overview. I I would just say very generally, we're trying to fill a gap that we perceive to exist within the political discourse in Winnipeg when it comes to just challenging police narratives, which often go unchallenged. And so there's there's been a lot of other groups that have done this work previous to us. So we're just trying to pick up some of that and and carry the the momentum forward as police continue to escalate and, and entrench their powers. Okay. And for you both individually, would you want to touch on personally speaking, what this work means to you, why you became involved with the organization and such? Yeah, for sure. I can I can start if that's um, okay. Um, yeah, as uh, as uh, Rebecca is, I'm I'm also a white settler, um, and so living in Winnipeg for a number of years and just learning of uh, the level of of violence uh, and um, just like daily atrocities committed by the Winnipeg police um, really compelled me to want to do something uh, with with that knowledge rather than just you know individually complain about it on social media as as important as as that can be. So the group formed in. 2019 after a, a series of quite visible police killings, including Chad William and Macho Amadou and Sean Thompson and Randy Cochran. 2019 was just a very violent year when it came to, to police killings. And so the, the group forms out of that and out of the knowledge that, that we need to do something about that. You know, following the work of organizations like Cop Watch, which existed in Winnipeg about a decade ago, and then also Bar None, which is a, an organization that organizes a, uh, a ride share for incarcerated um, 
or family members of incarcerated um, people in Manitoba. And so sort of following that work, we just wanted to continue to, to politicize it. Um, and so for, for me personally, it's just um, having a feeling that we can collectively struggle against these conditions um, because, you know, obviously the police is such a powerful and violent um, organization that monopolizes so much of the municipal budget. Um, and it does feel uh, very overwhelming um, to even think about this individually, but also knowing that uh, as, as a white settler that I have a, um, a privilege uh, to be able to speak um, out and to challenge these kind of things. Like for example, being able to sit in a Winnipeg police board meeting across from um, the police chief um, and to, to challenge police narratives is certainly not something that, um, you know, uh, that indigenous or black people may want to put, put themselves into the position of just because the stakes are so much higher when it comes to retaliation and violence. Um, and so just like all those things kind of combining and just feeling like um, I wanted to do something collective and to engage in, in collective struggle, I think is what has really brought this group together and continues to propel it forward. Yeah, and so kind of building on that and um, adding some of my experience. So I grew up in so-called Winnipeg and my maternal ancestors settled in Treaty 4 territory and near the Eastern border of Treaty 1. Um, I have just finished my master's last year. And so in pursuing this education, I studied settler colonialism and my thesis worked to kind of conceptually disrupt uh, this fraught notion of reconciliation. Um, and so kind of moving back to Winnipeg, finding my way, learning how to live on these lands that I occupy and continue to settle on in a good way has kind of what, that was kind of what brought me to organizing, you know, in April, 2020, when the Winnipeg police service murdered, uh, Jason Collins, Stuart Andrews, and 16 year old Aisha Hudson in the span of 10 days, I, at that point, I didn't know what to do with my anger. But then came the sustained and super powerful organizing of the folks at Justice for Black Lives Winnipeg. And after their seven days of no peace rallies, you know, I knew exactly what I needed to do. And I attended a Winnipeg police cause harm intake within a week of the last rally. So it's pretty fair to say that I owe the work that I do now to Black femi feminist abolitionists. And I really approach abolitionist work as praxis. So like a way of making real the theoretical work that I did in my master's and that looks like resisting, you know, the colonial order um, and who maintains that, but it's the police. Definitely sounds like you guys have your mind wrapped around this in such a passionate way, which is really good to hear. And, you know, going for myself, it's definitely something that I like to see within the city. And I something that I think is important for our communities to have. Why do you guys think that it's so important to have a group like this in the community that people can depend on? Yeah, I, I think that the work that we at least try to do is is important because so much happens like every day, every week when it comes to police violence, abuses, appropriations of budgets, like everything. It just feels like a constant flood, even for us who try to stay um, fairly on top of things. And so I think it's important for us to exist, even just to kind of collect and try to make sense of some of this because obviously so many people in the city have the, the visceral day-to-day -day experiences of, of police abuses and so for us to just like try to bring those together into a collective narrative and you know statistics and all these sorts of things like which kind of sounds boring but at the same time I think it can help you know capture the way that these trends um, develop over time and especially when it comes to budget season and budget issues which were like a couple of days away from from restarting in the city I think 
just really being able to tie police violence um, as a day-to-day -day practice to the dollars that are allocated to the police service itself. You know, we we often argue following, um, you know, Black abolitionists like Marianne Cabra um, and Andrea Ritchie that, that policing itself is violence. Like there's no way to reform violence out of it as an institution. And so that means that every single new dollar that is allocated towards policing means more and more violence. And so I think really trying to to capture that and to emphasize that just again and again, that, you know, the politicians at city council, which just allocated police another $7.3 million because the police didn't sufficiently cut enough from their budget, all of that represents uh, more violence. And so I think it's important for us just to be able to say that this isn't, these aren't coincidences, these aren't mistakes, these aren't a case of a few bad apples. Apples, and you know the saying there is always forgotten because it's a, you know a bad apple spoils the bunch. That the institution as a whole is complicit and is violent, and so I think for us just to be able to be there in the community and just to continue to re repeat this constantly, and I think people do appreciate that kind of work because, as mentioned, it can just be really overwhelming to to try to keep up with everything that happens uh, on a daily basis. So I would say that that's that's kind of like why it's important for us to have a place uh, in the community. Of course, the the for whether that importance is warranted is is obviously within the community itself, um, within the families, and you know the individuals who are most affected by police violence. So that's something that we continue to try to work on. I'll just add quickly just about what James was saying about kind of shifting narratives. And I think it's pretty safe to say that in Winnipeg specifically, but I would argue like more broadly, you know, narratives have been shifting since summer 2020 about like in challenging this association that we've always had between police and public safety when we actually know how much harm they cause in our communities. And again, like this work, in this work, it's important that we collectively understand that a better world exists without the police. And really, like from that understanding, we can build um, we can build that better world. All right. Just not just generally speaking in the community, but specifically within your organization, what kind of barriers do you guys face day to day basis? I'd say probably in the broadest sense, like opposing like inherently the work of opposing an institution like the police is dangerous work, especially for BIPOC, as James mentioned, like not everybody is comfortable getting up in front of the mayor or the police chief to say that we want to abolish, uh, you know, their employment right now. So, you know, especially for BIPOC who are already surveilled, criminalized and brutalized by the police on a regular basis, coming out and being an abolitionist and speaking out against specific things that happened in this city related to police violence is dangerous work. This week, we've only just heard of one instance of a community member who's in touch with us where they felt that the police targeted and intimidated them. They have no prior offenses, but the police showed up in the middle of the night at their house, rang their doorbells and called all their, their phones. And so, you know, the threat of police surveillance and violence is always there when you speak out publicly against the police. And I guess that is like the risk of organizing um, in this space. Yeah, and I, I can just like add to it briefly, but um, we may get into it later, but just a challenge that every organization faces of trying to, you know, recruit and retain and keep momentum going within a global pandemic when people are just so overwhelmed by just trying to survive day-to-day -day life. We're stretched thin, you know, it, it, it takes a lot out of us personally because it's entirely volunteer run as an organization. And so, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a constant struggle and learning experience to figure out what it means to try to do this for the long haul because as much as we would like the Winnipeg police to 
be abolished, you know, tomorrow. Um, this will be a multi-year and multi-decade project of struggle. And so as many organizations are, are working to figure out, you know, what does it mean to be in this for the long haul? How do we prevent things like burnout? And how do we just make sure that everyone feels valued and appreciated for the work that they do, um, knowing that they could spend it in, in so many other ways? So so that would also just be a, a more general comment on, on just like the learning process of organizing. Definitely understandable, for sure, makes sense when it comes to, you know, organizations within our city and especially just such a huge, I guess, you know, corporation or establishment as big as the police service is just takes a lot of bravery to be able to go up against. So I commend you guys for doing that. James, you spoke a little bit on the pandemic, and I'm just curious as to how things kind of played out throughout the pandemic. Were they different before? Were things kind of the same? Were there some challenges you guys had to overcome? How has that been? Rebecca, did you want to start on this one? Okay, sure. Yeah, I can talk about um, yeah some of the effects that COVID's had on us. I guess I'm speaking more about outward facing. And so I think what James mentioned about burnout is definitely very important, but I kind of approach it from a different way. So in terms of like our outward facing organizing, COVID has really hindered our ability to do the kind of public outreach that we want to be doing in communities. So I mentioned earlier that we had held a Zoom, you know, know your rights workshop earlier this year, but we definitely recognize the significant barriers in holding online only events. So yeah, having our work be online only, you know, we kind of like recognize the, the limitations of that and are very much looking forward to all the things that we want to do and offer our communities that simply can't be done online. So that's kind of exciting looking into what organizing will look like when we're able to gather in person again. But other than that, really, like, since a lot of our advocacy and awareness raising mainly happens online, you know, we've been able to maintain a pretty stable presence on our social medias and um, also at City Hall. So we've we've been able to go out postering, you know, when COVID restrictions have allowed us to do so. You know, we've still been able to support different online fundraising efforts by families affected by police violence and stuff like that. Yeah, and, and things are obviously developing as as just the landscape of COVID changes. Like a, a few weeks ago, there was the National Gathering for BIPOC Families Against Police Violence in Winnipeg, which which brought together families from all over the country to speak out against police violence. And so that was something that we showed up to, to support. And that was like just an example of how organizing by Aisha Hudson's family and, and a lot of other people can be done in a way that obviously like respects COVID restrictions and everything. Everyone was masked, distant, all that kind of stuff but at the same time like congregated out, outside of police headquarters and then marched to the legislature so so i think there's like there's ways that, that groups and organizations are, are figuring out how to kind of get around this but of course like the landscape of things are changing all the time so organizations always have to be quick on our toes but uh, especially now so um yeah it's it's a challenge for sure yeah, definitely. Totally understand the challenges that would just inherently be present within an organization like this. How can folks get involved with what y'all are doing? Just connecting through social media, meeting at an organization. What's the best way to do that? I would say like pretty simply, you can follow us on Instagram at tw and Twitter at WPG Police Harm. And Facebook, you can find us there too. If you're interested in organizing with us or pitching us a blog post, for example, you can DM us on any of those platforms or send us an email at wpgpolicecauseharm at gmail.com. Yeah, and something neat that people have done before is we have a bunch of posters that have been designed just to provide information about police violence and budgets, which are all available on the website. And so some people have just printed a bunch of those out and then just put them up around their neighborhood, which seems like a small thing, but just given what we talked about before, 
before like knowing how dominant police propaganda is in Winnipeg, even just having like posters um, visible in the community, I think can be a really powerful thing. So that's another way that people can engage is, is just putting up those kind of things. We also have know your rights cards, as Rebecca mentioned before. So if anyone wants like some of those, like a stack of those to distribute in their community or with organizations that they're a part of, that's also another way that we can um, collaborate in that way. Perfect. So to all of our listeners, please go follow them. Uh, if you're interested in getting involved with what they're doing, just shoot them a message. Just, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. And I'm sure that, you know, you'll get things going and rolling right away. One question we like to ask our guests, as most of them are organizations or groups here within the city that are doing good work. We like to ask that, let's say that all barriers were lifted and all barriers were kind of erased as the organization, whether it be funding, having um, staff, enough people there. What would be you guys biggest goals sort of for for the city of Winnipeg here? What would be what would you guys do with that? Yeah, so I guess obviously, um, as we've mentioned, it's our stated goal to defund and abolish the Winnipeg Police Service. So I'll just speak a little bit more abstractly, maybe, about what this would look like. In a larger sense, we want to show the community that abolition is so much more than just defunding and abolishing the police. Abolition is really abolishing the police and blank. Defunding and abolishing is a means to an end. So abolition is really the creation of healthy and safe communities that are able to hold each other accountable in non-punitive and non carceral ways. And these are ways that actually reduce harm and offer transformative alternatives for what we actually understand justice to be. So tangibly, this is shifting public funds to new services and new institutions that don't even exist yet. We don't even know what they are yet. It's about shifting funding to education, housing, recreation, harm reduction, accessibility, food security. You know, these are all things that help to create security and safety in a world without police and cages. And so I think, you know, having all these barriers lifted tomorrow, that's kind of the vision of, of what we're really after. Yeah. And also like it's you know, it's not something that we would ever be, you know, conceded uh, enough to say that we can we can do on our own. There's so many other amazing organizations in the city that, you know, a, a hypothetical future we would want to partner with in, in such a collaborative way. So all, all the things that Rebecca mentioned, but, you know, just to zoom in on like the harm reduction angle, things like safe consumption sites and safe supply and overdose prevention sites and Narcan distribution and all these kind of things, just like like an incredible amount of resources for, for people who use drugs and people who are criminalized and stigmatized and ostracized and all that kind of thing, which obviously there's already great organizations doing that kind of work, like the Manitoba Harm Reduction Network um, and other groups like that. So to be able to, to collaborate more fully in those kind of things, if and when such barriers were lifted would be uh, would be incredible. And that's something that we like to think that we're struggling towards uh, as as hard and overwhelming as it as it feels a lot of the time. Yeah, absolutely. So before we wrap up here, is there anything upcoming at all for y'all that you'd want to kind of promote here for a moment? Any events or organizations, anything like that? Yeah, I'll, I'll just flag that, um, as mentioned, uh, the city budget season's coming up uh, right away. And so the the city will propose a budget and then spend like a week or so with like committees and board you know, hearings and all that kind of boring stuff. But those are places that we're going to try to make various interventions um, at. So stay tuned for that on social media. And beyond that, as we just like try to get um, more into the to the swing of things, we'll have, um, you know, different events coming up. But as for different organizations that we would want to shout out, like as Rebecca mentioned, Justice for Black Lives Winnipeg, um, Police Free Schools Winnipeg are doing really incredible organizing against school resource officers and are in an ongoing struggle against the Lurie School Division to release a report, which actually ended the SRR mm -hmm. program. So paying attention to that struggle, I think is really important. And then the struggle 
examples of like Aisha Hudson's family, Justice for Aisha, as well as the other families in Winnipeg who have lost loved ones, just paying attention and supporting the call outs um, when those happen, I think are all really important. I might have something to add, but it depends when this will come out. This will come out a week from today. Okay, so yeah, I can plug an event that will be happening on Saturday, December 4th. And so it's from 2 to 5 p.m. at XQ's Cafe at 551 Sargent Avenue. So Bar None is hosting a uh, letter writing event for incarcerated folks. Um, So we're inviting community members out to write letters to incarcerated folks over the holidays. And so we're asking folks to RSVP, but uh, that's optional. So please just show up from two to five at XQs. We'd love to see you. That's awesome. It's so great to kind of hear how passionate you guys are about this work. Just the focus and dedication to, you know, put yourselves your energy on the line towards this work makes me hopeful and excited for the future of our city. So all of our listeners, please go get involved, look out for their call outs, look out for their events and make sure you just come down and, you know, even just being a body there means something towards the goals that we're trying to achieve. So another question we like to ask our guests uh, as we end it off is because this will air on the radio, which song would you like to play after, after the episode ends? I would love for you folks to play Fight Like Ida B and Marsha P by Rick Wilson, please. You got it. I'll get that set up. Thank you both so much for taking the time out of your afternoon to come and speak with us today and let us learn a little bit about what y'all do. Really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having us. This has been great. Thanks, guys. Take care. Of course. Of course. Yeah, it's been amazing. And, you know, we hope to see you guys within the community and just continue doing the good work you're doing. This has been UMFM 101.5. You're listening to Engage with Kay Jones, Josue DeVee. We were just speaking to James and Rebecca of Winnipeg Police Cause Harm. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Please go check out the work they're doing and we'll see you guys next week. Peace.